0: Three years ago, I got really into a new hobby. Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons is, to quickly sum up, a game where you pretend to be someone else. Based on some choices you make at the beginning about who your character is and what they do, followed by some random dice rolls, the game determines how strong, quick, smart, charming, hearty, and wise your character is. It's your job to simply think like that character would and respond to the situations that the Dungeon Master, or DM, narrates as they're happening to you and your fellow players. You can fight people and monsters, chase down mysteries, become criminals. Basically, anything you can imagine doing, you can try to do, but with great risk because if you die in Dungeons & Dragons, your character can permanently die. A character you create completely from scratch, breathe life into, embody, and give a conscience to, can just as easily be smote by a stray arrow or fall off a cliffside, or be run through by an evil knight serving a dark master. As dungeon master Brennan Lee Mulligan of Dimension 20 puts it, D&D
1: is a game about gambling. You're rolling with dice, right? You're rolling with dice. It's a game of chance. What are you gambling with? It's not money. You are gambling with stories. Mm -hmm. And the stakes are characters, locales, moments, adventures. So the things that you stand to lose are actually very meaningful because people love stories. So putting something up and having someone lose a character they care about, even if it's only an NPC, suddenly makes the stakes real. And someone realizes like, hey man, we're just sitting here at like a coffee table, eating chips and rolling dice. But, oh, I'm never going to see that character again.
0: The stakes get so high, it's no wonder people started stumbling into these stories around dining tables and thought, huh, this could be something other people might want to see. Thus, over the years, a new genre of program has cropped up. The actual play. They take the form of a usually real-time game session. It could be a series on YouTube or a live streaming platform like Twitch or even a podcast or even a live show. People sit around, they roll dice or play cards, role play as characters, improvise scenes, and react to scenarios. The layers of dramatic irony can be dizzying. The players know more than the audience does. The dungeon master knows even more, but even he doesn't know what's in the players' heads and what they're gonna do in any situation. And what's more, there's this overarching tragic irony that everyone knows more than the characters they're playing. They move the form from a private space to a performative one, Now, the games aren't exactly the same as they would look like playing in your living room, but it is a good way to see how the mechanics of the game work in practice, without the feeling of pressure to know everything or even having to organize a few hours for a game night. D&D is now something to admire and amaze, rather than be deemed the work of devil-worshippers, a corruptive influence on youth, shamefully relegated to dark basements and dismissed as a childish indulgence and it can be all of those things still gladly but it can be so much more the actual play that got me started was a live streamed game called critical role critical role itself is probably the biggest actual play show out there currently. There are a lot of great competitors, really awesome shows, but few come as close to its devoted fan base and brand recognition. When Twitch.tv suffered a leak in 2021, it was revealed that Critical Role is the highest-earning channel on the entire platform of all time, bringing in almost $10 million in subscription revenue since they started their independent channel in 2018. It's not for everyone, but there is one plot line that I think is emblematic of why many people love the show and tabletop role-playing games in general, and I think it's just a really, really great example of the potential of the format. It takes us all the way from the campaign's humble beginnings to its climactic and epic finale. As Dungeon Master Matthew Mercer says at the beginning of every episode of Critical Role, Hello everyone, and welcome to tonight's episode of Critical Role, where a bunch of us nerdy-ass voice actors sit around and play Dungeons and & Dragons. And that's really all it is. This world that they've created, the show, the company, new careers, live events, movie theater premieres, novels, comics, art, merchandise, hours and hours and hours of content, All of it started just as a fun game night. Specifically, it happened because of two friends. I had been living in L.A. for a year. That's Liam O'Brien. And I went back to New York for an anime convention. And that is Sam Regal.
2: The Big Apple Anime Fest. It might have been my first time being asked to be on a panel. I probably had three credits to my name. And I, um, I saw this dude and they plunked me down next to this guy with a, a gigantic mouth, giant smile. And we
1: started to talk, and it turns out that Liam and I had done anime shows together, we had acted together, but I never met the man, and then we got to meet at this anime convention, and we just started
2: talking, and and I don't know what it was, but like... I don't even remember all the things we said, I just remember my reaction to him, which was like, this guy makes me smile, this guy is mm. funny, this guy is like me. I don't have a lot of friends who get it, and he, instantly got it and we just gelled immediately and this isn't like the minutes before this panel started and it really was like hi I'm Sam hi I'm Liam and one of us I don't remember who but one of us did said we should be best friends yeah and the other said that's right let's do that and it was done
0: both of them now living in LA were married and eventually had young kids And they found it hard to make the time necessary to see one another, as adults tend to. So they decided to do what any two young, enterprising white men would do, start a podcast. Even they admit it was really just an excuse for the two of them to get together and catch up. But still, they decided they would try something new together for every episode.
1: So we were doing the podcast, and he had this stupid idea to, to play Dungeons & Dragons, which I don't know about nerd stuff. We're doing D&D. We're going back to the 80s.
0: They decided on this partially because it was soon to be Liam's birthday, and he had some experience playing the game in his youth.
1: Here's the thing, guys. I've never played D&D. I don't know how to do it, and frankly, I'm frightened.
2: Right. Well, I'm a little frightened, too, but so Sam has never done this. I played Dungeons & Dragons when I was in high school, like maybe sophomore, and I was our dungeon master when we did it. Wow. Right. Nerd cred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I have some experience. I understand how it goes. Now, I was 16 when I did. It's been a long time, but you have zero experience. I don't know what, and we got an email Mm -hmm. from Matt asking us to pick our characters. Right. For anyone who's familiar, I mean, normally you have a campaign, Sam. Okay. And what that means is... It's ongoing. It's like Charles Dickens. It's a serial drama. You get together... Regularly, really, we people do it. this. People people do it a lot. Wow! But we're doing. Matt says that it's a one-off. Okay, so, so it's going to be a self-contained short story. Right, right. Your first taste of the drug is free. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Um so it's a one-off. But you don't know anything about this. No, so all, and I
1: have to pick a character, and they've given me things like I can be a human, dwarf,
0: elf, yeah, slow halfling. Down. Slow, down, to slow down. Goliath. What are these things? Matthew, what do
1: I do? Can I just be Sam?
0: It was at the time, though. Just a group of friends getting together for something special between them, but by the time Liam and Sam got back together for the next episode after they'd played, something had changed.
1: Yeah, okay. Last time we challenged ourselves to play Dungeons and Dragons, straight up old school pen and paper.
0: We
2: we did it. We, we did it. We went in there. Oh my god. Uh, and we we might have been snake bit because. <laughs>
0: It was awesome.
2: It was it, was, it was fucking awesome, okay? It was fucking awesome. And every fear that I had that I would want more of it, I want more,
1: I want more. And I'm not the only one. It was incredible. I can't believe it took me
2: 36 years to play this game. <laughs>
1: it's been there the whole time.
2: And now perhaps you'll play them for the next 30. Uh,
1: it's years. It's so great. Guys, uh, yeah, if you get a chance, go, go get out a pen and paper and play some D&D because oh, it's so yeah. much fun. And we're going to definitely do this again it's not even we. It's gonna become a regular thing. It, it'll be
2: its own thing, I think. Outside of this podcast, I don't know. I I just expect it to be a lark, right? Just us to have some beers and laugh at each other. It was just great storytelling. It was a great hangout with
1: with some friends, some people I didn't know very well. Um, it was acting. It was being silly. It was everything in in me that I've been wanting. It was uh, it was an epiphany. It was one of those light bulb moments where, where like at least for me, you know, there's no going back.
2: It was magic. I could not have predicted the end result, mm. but uh, it was magic. And I went home that night going, Phew, man, that was so good. That's the most fun I, I that's the most fun I've had in a long time. I want to do that again.
0: And they did. Soon, this one-off game that wasn't intended for anything big or long-term blossomed into a recurring home campaign where they would continue to play as the same characters week to week. There's even videos of these games online still, taken by Liam and some of the other cast members. It looks like any party or game night you've probably been to. A bunch of people in casual clothes, around a dining table, drinking and eating snacks, just goofing off for no one but themselves.
1: The rug is magic? Oh, it's a fucking flying carpet! <laughs>
0: <laughs> they posted a few videos to YouTube, told people about it at parties, and they could not stop raving about this fun game that they played every week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> fly and catch your it. Trinket, trinket, trinket
2: and, and Percy go plummeting past you. Go get him! Go get him! Okay, so
0: <laughs> you're going to the past 50,
2: 40, 30... Go get him! ...suit <laughs> so down... Rat <laughs> managed to just slow Percy's descent as he plummets into it. With the last bit, you catch Trinkin underneath. Oh, it's no! a heavy, heavy impact on it. You both, all three of you, manage to just slow the fall enough to hit hard, but not enough to take damage no. as the three of you scatter to the floor, <laughs> slamming into the side of the tower. Safely and hit alive. Ah! <laughs> oh!
0: They talked about it so much that they actually caught the attention of another mutual acquaintance of most of them, Felicia Day, who approached them with a proposition. She asked them if they'd be interested in streaming their game live on the internet. In March 2015, the party took up the mantle of Vox Machina, a nod to their shared experience in voice acting. They get their start as... Humble adventurers. Simple sellswords. They kill monsters, find missing persons, loot abandoned places, take magic items, and party. A lot.
1: Oi, tavern keep! Another round for Vox Machina, the greatest band of mercenaries in all the realm.
0: (laughs) When the show first starts streaming on Twitch, the production quality is low, to put it nicely. They just didn't have the budget or vision at the time to shell out for anything excessive because they thought, who is even gonna watch this thing? But suddenly, people start tuning in, live as well as on video on-demand services. What had only been a few hundred people watching live during the first episode soon reaches several thousand every week, up to almost 40K by the end of the campaign, and that's just live viewers. As of this recording, the first episode has over 17 million views on YouTube. But it wasn't a great time for everyone, even as the show was beginning to succeed. Liam, in particular, was dealing with some personal struggles that made his time on the show tough for a while.
2: When we were still at home, I I developed a thing which, after a year of experimenting, muddling around, the doctor finally said, you have what's called hyperacusis which is, a, is a, a, a newfound sensitivity to sound or mm. um, certain frequencies. In the lead up to when we were discussing that this might be a show, uh, I was hitting the wall on that. And, and my mom started to get sick at the same time. So like there was a six week period where I didn't sleep. I was getting like an hour a night. I, I was going kind of crazy. Um, and my mom at the same time who has fought cancer her entire life. It's come in waves. You know, there started to be signs, and um, right um, after we'd begun the show, over a period of a year, um, it got the better of her. I, I just had a lot of uh, emotion and didn't know where to put it. And it helped, the, the show helped to, you know, to stretch it all apart, I guess. It was It was a little bit like watching a traffic accident sort of like happened in slow motion and mm-hmm. I was like darkly fascinated i I couldn't believe the things that were lining up and in like the last uh, weeks that my mom was still with us and knowing that you know it wasn't going to be much longer the story took a turn it took.
0: Vox Machina is now a renowned group of warriors who have rescued a king, banished monsters, and earned themselves an entire keep on the outskirts of a major city. Then, for a bunch of reasons that aren't really super important right now, they start searching the world for a series of magic items called Vestiges of Divergence. These things are super powerful and were mainly made or blessed by the gods.
2: And, and I remember it was, we had a game, we had it was the, the point in the story where it, it was the tomb, it was the tomb episode, and then I was gonna go
0: home. At one point, they're spelunking through a tomb that's sunken into the earth to find one of these vestiges, a set of armor that the goddess of death, known as the Raven Queen, gave to one of her most devoted champions. Deep underground, in collapsed ruins, they find a sarcophagus with a set of armor inside that seems to match the description of what they're looking for. Jet black studded leather armor uh, that has a series of just runic engravings and carvings along pretty much
1: every square yes. inch of the leather. <laughs> um, and you can see around the uh, the
0: mantle of it, where, where, the, where the leather mantle falls, the edge is trimmed with black feathers. Uh,
1: That's hot. That's fucking sad.
0: Two of the characters, Percy and Vexalia, who is the twin sister of Liam's character, Vax, go to take it, and as they lift it up, Matt asks them to roll their dice for what's called a dexterity saving throw. Laura Bailey, who plays Vex, rolls a natural 1 on her 20-sided die, and all you need to know for this is that is really bad. It's referred to as a critical fail because... You literally cannot roll worse than that. So Matt narrates how a wave of necrotic energy bursts out of the sarcophagus as they lift the armor. Percy is able to dodge out of the way, but Vex isn't. And it hits her, causing her to collapse on the stone floor. The rest of the group sees this happen and springs into action. They start pouring potions into her mouth, trying to bring her back to consciousness, but. Matt says that they're not working. Now, normally when you take a lot of damage in Dungeons and Dragons, your character first falls unconscious and then can, you know, be brought back to consciousness before permanently dying. But this is much more serious. It starts to dawn on everyone that Vex isn't just unconscious.
2: The fuck?
0: She's dead.
2: What is going on?
0: They've never had a party member permanently die as of this point in the campaign, but they've come close. Luckily, this is a fantasy game where magic exists, so death itself is not even the absolute end, if you're prepared or lucky. So they begin a ritual that everyone has to participate in in order to revive Vex. Percival attempts to assist by providing some highly valuable magic components for the ritual. The party's guest member, Zara, appeals to her god for aid, and Vex's twin brother, Vax, lays all of his cards on the table and makes a big play to try and persuade the goddess of death, whose temple they are currently inside, to give his sister back.
2: I pull my sister in close, and I say, take me instead. You raven bitch.
1: (gasps) Breath fills Vex's lungs as she begins to cough, the form drifting back to the stonework. Your vision clears and you find yourself looking up at the partially broken stone ceiling of the dark altar. Into the face of your brother, tears streaming down his face.
0: The rest of your friends gathered around There is a tense moment of realizing how close they were to losing their friend, followed by a collective exhale of exhaustion. But everyone then slowly realizes that the Raven Queen, in accepting this bargain with Vax, has taken one life in exchange for Vex's. In a poetic parallel, Vax now indebted to the goddess of death for reviving his sister, begins to wear the armor that they found in the tomb, which they learn is called the Deathwalker's Ward. While at the same time, his player, Liam, is in the midst of grieving the seemingly inevitable loss of his own mother.
2: And I remember we we all met for something after that, that chapter and thinking like, I don't want to be Batman. I remember like like a cat with water being like, I hate this. This just seems daunting to me. Um, and if it were anything else, you know like if it were if I were on like a sitcom or something and it had to be hilarious, I think I probably would have taken a hiatus, but
0: I wanted to be with these people And so the story continues. Vox Machina go about searching for more vestiges, and they get really, really powerful. One of them is able to turn into any kind of creature she's ever seen, another one can basically become the size of a small building, and another has his own fantasy sniper rifle. Sam's character, Scanlin, even gets this spell called Wish, which the game describes as the mightiest spell a mortal creature can cast. By simply speaking aloud, he can alter the very foundations of reality in accord with his desires. He basically gets to just wish for whatever he wants. Long story very short, they eventually learn that almost all of the main bad guys that they've been going up against for these two years have all been followers of the one true villain, an evil undead sorcerer called Vecna who is planning on ascending to godhood so he can conquer the world. Vox Machina hates this guy. He is a classically evil, no moral gray area, epic fantasy evil wizard bad dude. At one point in battle, he kills Vax like dead dead. But because Vax has made this pact with the Raven Queen, she offers him the chance to return to the world with the sole purpose of helping his friends, killing Vecna, and saving the world. However, as soon as this is done, he must return to her in the afterlife and serve as her champion forever. The shadow of Vax's eventual and unstoppable demise looms over the group for the remainder of the series. Every victory in battle, intimate moment of joy or daring escape is tinged with a bittersweet moment when they realize that, for he and his friends, the clock is always ticking, and fate can't be ignored forever. They try and find ways to get him out of this pact. They ignore it, deny it, basically they grieve in a very, very real way for this inevitable loss they all know is coming. Liam even uses the language of Vax being terminally ill in some discussions about this part of the story as a way to kind of rationalize the intense sadness everyone feels at the process. It's shockingly heavy subject matter for a Dungeons and Dragons show but I think they handle it with care and the weight necessary. Especially considering this is also a show where a gnome poops in a jar and then can look through it like a crystal ball. Yeah, that also happens. But eventually, Vecna's threat grows too large to ignore. Vox Machina amasses the help of all of the allies they've garnered through four years of the campaign, more than 370 hours of which have been streamed online. The final battle itself is epic. Fighting on a crumbling platform atop the shoulders of a titan, Vox Machina attempts to end Vecna's divine ascent one last time. Through multiple swarms of meteors raining down on the battlefield, a dragon coming to their aid, and several spells that remove or knock out party members entirely, Vox Machina slowly whittles down Vecna's health. However, his tactics begin to shift halfway through the battle. After four long, stress-fueled, emotional hours of gameplay, Matt, who is controlling this evil villain and trying to defeat the party, turns to the table and says, Vecna
1: is going to go ahead and through the hand of Vecna begin to attempt to teleport. No!
0: You can hear everyone panicking because they know that if Vecna is able to cast the spell, he can leave the battle, regroup and heal, and come back more prepared against a weakened party. So Sam, playing Scanlan, makes a very tough decision. You can even hear him ask the other players if it's a risk worth taking, and they are all in agreement that, yes, they need him to stop this.
1: Do I have a... Re- um, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. fuck a yeah! Wood. Um, That's- Is it worth
2: it? 16. Keep him here? 16. Yeah, he's running away. Yeah, he's yeah. away.
0: So, before Vecna can complete his spell, Sam interrupts Matt to say... I'll counterspell. okay oh, shit. Sam is not excited by this choice. This could save the day, but you can tell he's hesitant, even a little bit resigned as he says it, which is odd for Sam. He's normally the goofball of the group that keeps their spirits up when everyone else is stressed. And there is a trade-off to this. Counterspell can effectively stop any spell from being cast as it's happening but it can only be done a limited number of times, so you have to pick and choose whether this is the moment you want to stop something dead in its tracks, or wait and see if you can withstand the effect or prevent something else that's worse later on. Matt asks him in response. What level? This is important because teleport is a seventh level spell. Scanlan has to cast his counter at at least the same level for it to automatically work, otherwise, it's up to a roll of the dice. A very risky maneuver that doesn't make much sense in a situation where the stakes are this high. Sam doesn't even look down at his character sheet. He just uncaps his pen, ticks a box, and says, Nine. Nine.
2: <sighs> oh. oh! Oh!
0: That was pretty quick. Oh. There's a weird mixed reaction that happens next. A bunch of the other players know that a ninth level counterspell automatically succeeds against any spell. You can't go any higher than that. But Matt looks shocked. And then worried. And then resigned like Sam. Because when Sam says he's going to use his ninth level spell slot, Matt instantly recognizes why Sam's acting strangely. But he doesn't let on for long. He keeps the game going. Well, that definitely works. Oh,
1: wow. <laughs> okay then. I'm still going to hit you.
0: The next thing is a little hard to hear and it's so small that I even missed it the first time I watched it. Sam says over the din of battle, dice rolling, screams of joy for having avoided the disaster once more. Sorry, Fuck. Liam. It's okay. Anybody got a camera? But Liam doesn't get it. He looks at Sam and doesn't say anything. But there's this look on his face like, why are you saying sorry to me? You just bought us more time, wasted Vecna's turn and possibly turned the tide of this entire battle. You probably saved the world. And then his face drops. Tears begin to well up in his eyes, but he holds back. It's important to tease out everything going on here that is unsaid, or at least whispered. Fans watching live and several of the players at the table were keeping track while this was going on of how many spells certain players had cast, including Sam. So when Sam said he cast his counter spell with his ninth level spell slot, that was big because you can only do that once per day. Wish, the most powerful spell in the world, is also a spell that has to be cast at ninth level in order to work. So by using Counterspell, he was giving up his chance to use Wish. And that's why Sam whispers, I'm sorry, to Liam, and why Liam gets so emotional. Sam gave up his chance to use Wish for that day. Sam hadn't told him yet, but he was saving his Wish for Liam's character he was going to wish to defy the will of a god and get him out of the pact to save just his one friend. But instead, Sam decides to sacrifice that chance and try to save the world instead. More than a half hour goes by, and finally, the party's druid, Keyleth, reads an incantation off a scroll. And then... How do you guys want to do this? Matt responds with the ceremonial sign of an enemy's defeat. And Vax is taken by the Raven Queen. It's a very bittersweet victory. As tensions die down, the day, no, the world itself has been saved. But as everyone is packing up their dice and putting their supplies away, Liam, now full on crying, looks at Sam, also crying, and asks, You were trying to save a wish for me? Matt! It happens so quickly that Ashley, who is playing with the party via Skype, doesn't even hear and begins to applaud Matt for the map he built and running the encounter, which everyone else joins in on because, I mean, yeah, it's really, really cool. But every time I watch it, I want to reach through the screen and shake everyone by the shoulders and say, no, look at what's happening. Listen to what Sam and Liam are talking about. This is the real climax of the show. They rush over an incredibly intense moment of bittersweet sacrifice, such that only a few people hear it or let it sink in. But the more I watch it, the more I think it's probably better this way. Eventually, actually pretty quickly, everyone else at the table and watching the live stream realized what had happened. But the moment itself, the instance, was shared between the people at the table, and specifically Sam and Liam, the two guys who were responsible for this entire game happening in the first place. Two and a half years of live streaming, two more years of home games, thousands upon thousands of viewers, almost 15 days worth of total gameplay altogether, all because Sam wanted to see Liam more regularly and give him a nice birthday present to rekindle a fun childhood memory and spend some time with him doing it.
2: The only way, in my opinion, to survive in Los Angeles is to find the people that are grounded and then stick with them forever. And Sam was the first. He's a good man. I I haven't met many people as kind as him Mm -hmm. um, in my life. People know that I am sort of on the other side of a rough period and um, Sam was there. Something about those early games uh, definitely
1: rang true and, 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 and compelled all of us to just keep going and, and there's something here that's special and spectacular and only like recently has it really sunk in like no no, no. this is the thing that your life has been leading towards. It's all for this.
2: Mm. The stuff that I've done during this show is extremely meaningful to me. And my time with everyone at the table is extremely meaningful to me. And it's hard not to feel like this wasn't faded somehow. And I often feel like there is, like, something is moving through us. It's just happening. And, and, like, we're vessels watching it spill out on the table in in the circle of all of us. After you get over the initial hurdle of, like, but this is just a Dungeons and Dragons
1: game. After you sort of say, yeah, 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 fine, whatever. After you get past that, it's like, that's that's fine. Mm. I, I, I'm I'm happy with this. Like yeah. this this is great. If my
2: life led to this, um, then it was it was great. God, I've had some hard days uh, the last four or five years, and there were times where I thought, like, I I don't want to be in front of people right now. Part of me. I wanna like hide. But a bigger part of me would always say, I wanna be with my second family. I feel um, lifted up by them and and comforted and I laugh. And I'm lucky. I don't take this experience any, any inch of it for granted. It feels like magic.
0: Almost two years later, the cast of Critical Role, who at this point had moved on to a completely new campaign with different characters and a totally different storyline set 30 years in the future, decided to get the band back together for a special one-off Vox Machina episode. Vexalia, Vax's twin sister, and Percy, the two who had tried to remove the armor that caused Vex's death and the pact with the Raven Queen and sort of in-game set all of this off, We're gonna get married. At the ceremony, Scanlan, Sam's character, walks Vex down the aisle, and everyone is crying tears of joy. And then, with one last trick up his sleeve before the vows, Sam pulls out a wild card.
1: Pike, before you do this, Hmm? may I just offer one more word? Yes, of course. Uh, I didn't buy you a gift. So instead, I wanted to give you as a gift just a wish. A wish that your brother would be able to speak to you for just a moment or two on your wedding day.
0: Is that possible?
1: I'll cast wish. Okay. (laughs) How do you word your wish? I wish that Vaxel Dan can say a few words at his sister's wedding. A cold breeze comes drifting over the cliff face, passes by each of you, and you glance in the direction of the cliffside, and you see this dark silhouette.
0: Vax flanked by the unfolding wings of the Raven Queen, steps forward and embraces his sister from the afterlife, all thanks to the help of his friend Scanlan, who was unable to save him in his last mortal moments. It's a wonderful opportunity and a creative use of the spell that I love to see. And then Sam rolls his dice one last time. Perfection, Scanlan. That was a a perfection. Remarkable present. I hope so.
1: I think it was my last wish. Ever? I think so. Would
0: you? There's a bit of fine print at the bottom of the description for the wish spell. After casting it, your strength is weakened tremendously by expending such an intense magical force, literally bending reality to your will. As such, there's also a 33% chance that whenever you cast it, you then lose the ability to ever do it again. And Sam rolled a 17. The spell Scanlan was going to use to save his friend's life, but sacrificed to save the world, he actually gets to use two years later to let Vax see his loved ones. And in doing so, loses his ability to cast it permanently. The show gets a lot of flack for seemingly being pre-planned or pre-written for some people. But if it wasn't the dice doing the writing, it would just be too unbelievable. You Only Guide Me By Surprise is written, produced, and edited by me, Landry Ayers. The music in this episode was from Epidemic Sound. Very special thanks to Critical Role for their generous IP policy. All of the audio from the interviews comes from either their official episode uploads, other shows on their channel, or their personal accounts. Please give them a subscription on Twitch if you can. Also, thanks to Crit Roll Stats for being an invaluable resource of nitty gritty details that is community run, as well as to Matt Colville of MCDM for inspiring this episode with his Running the Game commentary episode. If you want to hear more stories like this and some that aren't so much like it, you can subscribe to You Only Guide Me by Surprise wherever you listen to podcasts. And I ask, please share it with a friend if you do so. Thanks for listening and you'll hear more from me soon.